Hey everyone and welcome to the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I am your host, Vinny Russo. And I am your co-host, Dr. Aaron Stansfield. And we're shifting gears from all the conventional fitness narrative you hear on most fitness podcasts as our main emphasis lies in preventative healthcare, adopting a holistic approach to nutrition, and challenging the traditional views on various fitness topics. Our mission with this podcast is to provide you with the information you need to achieve optimal health. In today's podcast, we have the absolute pleasure to have Hormones Demystified, who will remain anonymous, so we'll just call him HD right now, as our guest. He's an endocrinologist that has a love for putting out valid information and dismissing the quackery that we are dealing with today in terms of overall health and wellness. Now, with you, HD, um, I love the mystery behind you because it adds like this um, superhero aspect to you. You're out there, you're making a difference, you're fighting all the BS being thrown around while not needing that recognition. And I've, I find that very admirable. So as with any superhero, there, there is an origin story. So do you mind giving our listeners just a brief intro into who you are and then how Hormones Demystified came about? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, well, I've been an endocrinologist for 20-ish years and... Um, being in endocrinology is is kind of interesting because you wind up intersecting with the world of alternative medicine a lot because the alternative med practitioners just love to tinker with hormones. So uh, pretty early on in my training, I was seeing people coming in having been treated by alt-med and, and really just doing some wacky things. And as time went on and I spent just a ridiculous amount of time counseling people one at a time in the exam room about why whatever had been recommended to them was not really a great idea to to do. Uh, I just got frustrated with that inefficiency of educating one person at a time. So uh, it was one of those things where I thought to myself, you know, I should start a blog or something. And it just took a long time for me to actually and sort of make the the space in my life to have the time to to do something like that but about six years ago or so that's what i did so i started a blog and the idea for the blog was really to just try to help people separate what is actual evidence-based endocrinology from all the quackery that's out there and really with the posts that i write what they're designed to do is really dig deep into the claims that AltMed makes, whether it's the claims for testing, let's say thyroid testing, and uh, the claims for treatment. And there's some really very specific claims that AltMed makes. And uh, the problem with most of what's written out there in mainstream medicine is it'll just say, oh yeah, that's not helpful. But if you have an intelligent patient who wants an explanation of, okay, well, why isn't it helpful? Because it sounded totally reasonable when my naturopath said it to me or my functional med doc explained it. Uh, and if you can't, as a doctor, answer that patient, then you know, you're not really doing them the best service that you can. So I put out the information for patients and turns out a lot of my colleagues wound up reading it too and use it to give it to their patients. So that is what I've been doing all these years. That's awesome. And, and reading through it, um, you can almost get a, a sense of like, it almost feels like a little bit of event session from you. Um, just getting that out there. That, that's the kind of vibe I took from it going through through most of your articles. Yeah, uh, I was yeah, I was going to say that I came across it just for those exact reasons, right? Because I'm, I'm, you know, a physician who has patients that come to me with those questions. And I found your blog extremely helpful. Well, thanks. I, uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, in response to Vinny, yeah, I, uh, I, I vent a little bit. It it just kind of came out that way when I started writing. It's very irreverent. And and then that sort of answers why I'm anonymous because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to write in an unfiltered fashion and um, square that with being part of a larger organization where I really don't want to give the impression that I'm speaking for anyone in the larger organization, particularly when I'm spouting off as I tend to do. So... That is why I, uh, I I try to just fly under the radar with respect to identity. Uh, that makes that makes perfect sense. Well, I want to delve right in, and um, you know, like I mentioned before, I came across your blog because I get those inquisitive patients, 
And one of the things that I found very helpful with your blog is just explaining um, what alternative medicine um, consists of. And so I'm wondering if we can just start out with, um, for our audience, if you can just in general terms, explain what is functional medicine um, and um, what is uh, what are what are the other specialties in medicine that might be considered alternative medicine? Sure. So, you know, there's I guess we'll start with maybe the general category of alternative medicine because um, over the years I've learned a lot from a site called Science Based Medicine because they they write quite often about all of these things and I really like the way they put it about the evolution of of alt med. They they said something to the effect of it started out that these types of practitioners were just quacks. And then they decided, you know what? Quackery doesn't sound that good. We're going to call ourselves alternative medicine. It sounds better. And then after a period of time, they were like, you know what? Alternative sort of implies that we're not the real deal. We're only sort of there um, tangentially to actual medicine. So they changed it to CAM, complementary and alternative medicine. And that sort of stuck for a while, but then complementary still implied that it was really just adjacent to, or in addition to conventional medicine, but it wasn't on equal footing. And then it sort of evolved into integrative medicine and functional medicine, which are two of the sort of very similar altment fields out there. And, and when you say integrative medicine, it really sounds like you're putting both conventional and alternative medicine on an equal footing, which from the perspective of the altmed world was uh, was attractive. But if we if we want to sort of dive a little bit deeper into you know what is functional medicine, what is integrative medicine, I, I think at at the heart of it for functional medicine, it's just a marketing term. I mean I, I can tell you what a practitioner of a functional medicine, would say that it is, and then I can tell you what it actually is. Yes, please do that. <laughs> uh, so, so a functional medicine practitioner or someone who's enthusiastic about it would say, okay, functional medicine is about getting to the root cause of disease. It's not just about treating symptoms. And the obvious implication there is your doctor, who's either an idiot or incompetent or just too busy, is not really getting to the root cause of your disease process. They're really just treating your symptoms. Is that what you want? And you're thinking, well, no, that's not what I want. I want the deep dive. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go to functional medicine because that sounds awesome. And the, the problem is that once you go to a functional medicine practitioner, what happens in the office is yes, they spend a bunch of time with you. They take a very detailed history and you're thinking, well, this is pretty sweet. No doctor has ever spent this much time with me before. And then once they take the history and do the physical, they immediately jump into testing. So that is what I really want to drive home about what functional medicine is. It's about testing. They're going to test blood, urine, hair, saliva, any possible fluid or substance that comes from your body is going to be tested. And the problem with that is that a lot of those tests are just not clinically validated for anything. So you're going to get a whole bunch of abnormal results, of course, and they mean nothing much of the time. Uh, so then once you get all these abnormal results, the awesome news here is that the functional med doc will say, okay, this is great. We can address this abnormal result with this supplement and this with this vitamin and so on and so forth. And oh, by the way, I happen to have all this on my shelf of goodies right here. I can sell it to you. And even before you leave the office, I can infuse some vitamin C into your veins. And this is sort of the typical progression of a functional medicine visit. So it's, um, it's pretty uh, cynical, I guess, you know, because if, if you ask a functional medicine doc, for example, like, hey, um, what's the evidence to support what you're recommending for me? They'll say something along the lines of, no, listen, every person is unique. There's all this biochemical individuality, which of course is a totally unfalsifiable claim. <laughs> so, and what they sort of ignore is the fact that, you know, humans, when it comes to biology and physiology, 
we're much more alike than we are different. So this idea that they can just invoke biochemical individuality and say that trial results are worthless because these clinical trials with groups of people can't tell you how your unique body is going to respond to their unique treatment. It's just basically a license for them to do whatever they want. Yeah, it's it's funny that you said that because um, I took a certification for uh, to be like a functional health coach, right? Because I was like, let me just see like if they're going to teach me anything that's a little bit different from what I already know. And what I found is like um, th they're using tests like um, the Dutch test that's not clinically validated. Um, so they're pushing that and they're pretty damn expensive. Um, but you have a bunch of these coaches going through the certification and what they're saying is like, if you see this ailment with the thyroid or their adrenals, like you got to give them this supplement and they have the supplement from their site. So they got all these coaches putting all their clients to buy all these supplements from their specific site to help them with these ailments. And I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I didn't really learn anything besides push supplements on clients. And I'm like, they're like, even Dr. Aaron, she preaches this all the time, how the research behind supplementation isn't all that great, right? You have some that are researched extensively, but for the most, for the majority, supplements aren't really researched that well. So we don't have the, um, the data to, to support a lot of these claims either. Yeah, Absolutely. I think I, I, I completely agree with what Vinny is saying. And, and I, I resonate with what, what you're explaining about functional medicine. The first time that I came across functional medicine, I have to say it was when I met Vinny. And then I realized how prevalent it was um, on social media and how many people were condemning um, conventional medicine and saying, you know, that they went to a functional provider and that they had some magic answer to their um, clinical conundrum, right? Um, yeah. And I come from the preventative side. And so I did my residency in preventative medicine and had to go through boards. And what I realized doing that and getting a master's in occupational health is how much, you know, evidence-based uh, research that a lot of our medical guidelines are based on. And when I was looking at the functional medicine side of things, it seemed less that way. Um, and I'm wondering if you can kind of discuss, you know, is there, are there any board certifications for functional medicine providers? I know there's a specialty in uh, traditional me medicine, integrative medicine. Um, are there boards for that? Um, can you give us a little bit more information about what kind of training is behind these functional providers? Yes. So as far as functional medicine goes, there is no legitimate accreditation or certification for that. There is an organization called the Institute of Functional Medicine, and they offer some courses that one can take online. And then if you take an exam and pass it and pay a bunch of money, you can use their designation. But that designation is more or less meaningless. It's not recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties or even the American Board of Physician Specialties, which is kind of the lesser board. But, you know, all the specialties that that your listeners care about, you know, cardiology, internal medicine, family practice, whatever, it goes on and on. Those are recognized as real specialties by the American Board of Medical Specialties. Uh, the other thing to know about functional medicine is that it's really hard to get continuing medical education courses accredited if you're trying to put one on for something in that world of functional med. So there's the ACCME, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. They accredit individual organizations or accreditors to be able to give CME credit for CME courses. But if there's a functional med course then most accreditors are not going to accredit it. Uh, I think the rules are nowadays is that they can, if, if someone in functional medicine wants to give some kind of course, they can explain a little bit about what they do, but they can't actually train their audience, their learners, how to do what they do. So uh, I think that that should really tell people something. That's that, interesting. Yeah, very yeah, interesting. It's not, it's not really a legitimate... Field. They don't have research. They don't have clinical practice guidelines. The best you're going to find 
for functional medicine really when it comes to research is case reports in really poor journals, complementary medicine, um, integrative medicine journals, the journals that have little to no peer review whatsoever. Integrative medicine, though, um, Aaron, you mentioned was that's something that actually does have a board certification. But before anybody starts thinking that that's actually a legitimate board, um, that uh, American Board of Integrative Medicine is not recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties. And there, these fellowships that have sprung up in integrative medicine, they're not accredited by the ACGME, which is the, um, I believe it stands for the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. So again, all the residencies and fellowships that people do, neurology, endocrinology, rheumatology, so on and so forth, those are all accredited by the ACGME, and they're all recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties. So the American Board of Integrated Medicine was just created by the American Board of Physician Specialties, and that's that sort of, that, that board has, um, let's just say, more lax criteria for what constitutes a board certification than, uh, than the ABMS does. So right. they have a board... Uh, it doesn't really mean a whole lot, uh, but it does unfortunately lend this veneer of credibility and legitimacy to integrative medicine, at least in comparison to functional medicine, but it shouldn't because once you dig down deeper into it, and we can certainly talk about that, uh, you see what integrative medicine is and it's it's really pretty kooky stuff. Yeah what, yeah, what really shocks me is like what you said about the functional medicine, how they can't really explain how they do what they do. And it's like, well, if you look at anything, like let's just take sports, for example, you don't hire a coach who can't explain how to play the game, right? Like, and they're running the team and you're going to go to a functional health professional um, who can't really explain what they're doing and how they're doing it. it. doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me at all, at all. I don't even know how they have a career or call it a career. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Uh, no, I was just going to say that they um, they they can't actually uh, give a course for credit, but you know they can they can say pretty much whatever they want to in the office, which is I think how they manage to have these uh, these careers that they do. Because I, I'm sure what happens in the office is that they they devote quite a lot of time to explaining things. And even if what they're saying is complete nonsense, uh, they usually spin a pretty good line of BS. And um, if they're personable and it sounds reasonable to a layperson, then you know I, I can see how people wind up getting sucked into that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um... You know, in terms of treatment guidelines, when we look at specialties like endocrinology, um, I know that there are specific guidelines based on evidence-based um, practices and, um, you know, randomized control studies, that sort of thing. Can you kind of explain how that, um, how the training in endocrinology might differ from, you know, for the people that might not know from functional medicine? Oh, wow. Yeah, we're definitely talking about two different universes here. <laughs> uh, gosh, that's a tough one to know where to start. I mean, in in endocrinology, uh, just I guess as an example, so there there's going to be a whole lot of fellowships. I don't know what the number is, but across the country, you know, most major academic institutions will have an endocrinology fellowship. So you have to do three years usually of internal medicine residency first, and then two or three years of endocrinology fellowship. And those fellowships have very well-defined learning objectives. You know, then by the completion of those fellowships, every fellow needs to be competent in those. And those are all pretty much the same across the entire country. And that's why you have accreditation through the ACGME for these training programs, because, you know, they know that everyone is kind of doing the same thing. And even at the end of endocrinology fellowship, there's this um, this thing we used to call endocrine boot camp, where you all go to the Mayo Clinic for, I think it was about a week, and you get like this really intense training. It's toward the end of fellowship to make sure that all the hands-on stuff that we're really supposed to 
know how to do we actually know how to do so it's it's pretty uh it's pretty legitimate it's pretty structured and then when it comes to clinical practice guidelines uh you know our major medical societies like ace and endo society and ada and american thyroid association you know all these societies they all come out with clinical practice guidelines which usually take months to years to put together with these huge committees of people who spend time just combing through all the papers and then you know they come up with the guidelines and they grade the guidelines and this is really strong evidence and this is really weak evidence but this is our opinion about the weak evidence and you get all these grades so that you know at least how strongly they feel about the recommendations that they're giving and then you've got integrative medicine let's just pick on integrative medicine because it's just i guess picking on functional medicine is easier because it's even less legitimate than integrative medicine so I'm, I, I would like to pick a stronger opponent and then knock them down <laughs> so <laughs> so let's just talk about integrative medicine for a second so integrative medicine you would think okay well there are now fellowships and i think some residencies too in integrative medicine so therefore much like an endocrinology fellowship there's got to be this sort of list of core competencies that all of these fellows need to achieve. And as best as I can tell, and I'm sure someone out there will, you know, write into you angry if I'm wrong about this, but there doesn't seem to be a very well publicized list of core competencies. There is something that I found, it was a 2012 document that was put together by a task force of integrative medicine docs from multiple institutions. But I can't see that this is something that actually is really looked at as the Bible among integrative medicine enthusiasts. So um, what I noticed though about these fellowships is that many of them actually have practitioners in things like reiki reflexology acupuncture you know basically disciplines that are nothing more than theatrical placebos they have these practitioners working alongside these fellows and these fellows are usually physicians of some sort like family practice docs who did a residency and now are doing a fellowship in integrative med so these family practice docs are basically learning how to perform something like Reiki, which is akin to faith healing, you know, sort of like the laying of hands on the body and, oh, you know, I just, you know, cured your kidney stone with my hand energy. Um, it, it's, right there. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a Mr. Miyagi move. And, and there are doctors who are learning how to do this. And when you look at you know, the language that's used, at least in the document that I found of these quote, core competencies, end quote, they talked about the fellows needing to be able to demonstrate competence in a conventional approach and an integrative approach to each issue. And I thought it was really interesting that they said conventional and integrative, because the whole idea of integrative medicine is that you're taking the best of conventional medicine and the best of alternative medicine, you know, the stuff that's evidence-based and actually works, and you're fusing them together. So you're actually getting like the greatest combination of things ever. And really what you can tell is that integrative medicine is just a Trojan horse for bringing in alt-med to be um, sort of practiced alongside conventional med because they talk about these things separately, the conventional approach and the integrative approach. So obviously integrative is a synonym for alternative med. Right. I, I um, One of my biggest pet peeves and and you, I love how you characterized theatrical placebo. Um, that's a beautiful description for um, how I see the practice, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I want to say it's almost like a soft science, right? It's touchy feely. Um, and I'm wondering now that we've we're kind of educated on, all right, this is the difference between the training of, you know, somebody who does an endocrinology fellowship versus um, functional medicine versus integrative medicine. Can you speak to the downsides of seeing a provider that might um, be practicing functional medicine? Sure. I think 
if I boil it all down, it's that you're putting your health into the hands of someone who looks at every problem through the same lens. So just I'll give an example. Let's say you're seeing a psychiatrist who took some functional medicine training courses in what they call Lyme literacy, which basically means they learn how to order all of that uh, really useless, but it's billed as very advanced Lyme testing. Um, and now they basically order that testing on everybody. They get positive results because that's what this testing does. And then they prescribe antibiotics to everybody. So when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And you're getting a practitioner who has gotten a very, very narrow exposure through the whatever sort of weekend seminar course or online course they took, which basically lays out a recipe for order this and then prescribe this because most of the time these, these tests, like I said, will yield at least some positive results. And now they're treating problems that don't really exist, yet the patient thinks that they're being treated for something. And sometimes that's benign and doesn't really do any major damage. But as uh, Vinny had mentioned earlier, you know, when they're doing all this thyroid and adrenal testing, and then they're prescribing supplements for that, a lot of times those supplements actually have active versions of the hormones that are made by the thyroid and adrenal glands. And whenever you give an active version of a hormone, it basically tells your body, hey, you've got more of this hormone than you need. And then your body just kind of stops producing its own hormone, or at least downregulates how much it produces. And if you do that for long enough, you can cause some pretty serious damage. So that's bad. Uh, people waste a lot of time and money doing this. I think it's also bad because it really undermines confidence in regular doctors. Because when you go to a functional med doc, we talked about the fact that they do so much testing, but the obvious sort of implication there is, hey, my doc hasn't looked at any of this stuff. But this doc met me once and they were like, yeah, we got to look for this and do this and this and this and this. And we got to look at this genetic test and this mutation. And, you know, so people feel like they're getting a much more thorough evaluation, which they're not, uh, but they really lose confidence in their regular doctors. And, you know, I've, I've sort of banged on about this just ad nauseum on my blog and every time I've appeared on a podcast, but I'm really big into diet exercise, sleep, stress management, and cultivating relationships. And to the extent that people are not doing that and they're looking for some kind of easy answer of a nutrient deficiency or something that can be solved by just popping some supplements or vitamins, they are wasting time and they're not getting to the root cause, which of course is what functional medicine is supposed to be all about. But as you know, folks, I mean, I'm sure that that you guys are preaching this all the time with diet and exercise and and so forth. That those are really the the pillars of good health. Yeah, no, we definitely are. And it's funny because I remember seeing a social media post uh, from a very well known functional um, health practitioner who was like, and it, basically what he said is like, even your endocrinologist doesn't know this. And I was like, I started laughing because I'm like, it took over like 13 years of school. And I'm pretty sure if anyone knows it, they're going to know it's their specialty. Right. And it was just downplaying um, someone like yourself. And there's even someone like Dr. Aaron, they're downplaying all of the hard work and all the years of schooling that they put in um, because they want to push supplements on people. Um, but I also find it that the population uh, now, um, even with some of our clients, when they first onboard with us, they're looking for a reason to be wrong with them. Like, and that's what they're doing. They, they almost want to be told that there is something wrong. And then, oh, now we can fix that instead of like, well, if you just stay consistent and adhere to a pretty decent diet protocol and you keep your body moving and you increase your overall need, you will most likely get results. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear like something's wrong with them. So why do you think, do, do you think that has something to do with patients seeking out functional providers? Or do you just mainly think it's because of you know the message functional providers are putting out there saying like hey we look at all of this stuff 
and uh, we'll we'll be able to nail down exactly what's wrong with you. And I think the initial, well, it's both of those things, but I do think the initial thing is that people are just kind of wired to look for the simplest explanation, you know, that, that's going to answer what, what their problem is. And if the simple explanation turns out to actually be simple yet hard to implement, like, you know, an overhaul of diet and really digging into sleep, I mean, I've been digging into my sleep for years and I don't have a lot to show for it. Uh, it's a, it's a challenging area. So, you know, when the simple fix is hard, then people shift to the easy fix, I think. And the easy fix is always just looking for some kind of deficiency that can be remedied through some kind of supplement. Um, so I, I think it's, it's that drive. And, um, but then I also think it's, it's partly that we as conventional medicine physicians have ceded a lot of ground to the alt-med world. I mean, the alt-med world loves to sort of do diet and, uh, and exercise counseling and, and to some extent, you know, yoga counseling and meditation counseling and stuff like that. And that's all stuff that works. And we don't, do that enough. We don't counsel patients enough. And it's either we don't have enough time, which is I know a lot of docs who are really feel passionately about this stuff, but don't have the time, or we don't have the knowledge because we didn't get great nutrition education in med school. At least back when I went to med school, it was pretty poor. Yeah. Uh, or we, you know, or, or we, we just move too quickly and we're just trying to, you know, get people out of the exam room faster because our uh, overlords that are multi-specialty groups are, you know, just sort of flogging us to produce. Yeah, I, I uh, completely echo that. And uh, again, that resonates with me coming from the preventative side. Um, I realized how many patients were one looking for easy fixes and two um, being in a conventional medicine practice. Sometimes you don't have the time um, to spend with the patient to tell them, you know, these are the lifestyle changes that you need to work on first um, to begin with. And, and that's not always the answer they want to hear. Right. And I completely agree with the, the nutrition aspect. And, and, you know, I think I got a half an hour lecture in nutrition, which is why, you know, I partnered with Vinny because he knows so much more about nutrition. I can appreciate um, that nutrition is a big component of lifestyle change with, um, with some of our, um, patients. Um, but I don't know very much about it, which is why that's his area of expertise. Um, but I often see, um, patients that are, you know, wanting a simple answer. And I think the most common thing that I see, and, and one of the reasons I also looked at your blog was, um, they, they like to blame the thyroid and I could not figure out for the life of me, why all these functional providers were getting reverse, uh, T3s on everybody. <laughs> uh, so I found that, uh, your blog helpful and kind of in that respect, um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but can you kind of discuss maybe some of the adverse outcomes, um, from, you know, from patients who may see a functional provider. Um, uh, I think that's one of my biggest, um, pet peeves is that, um, you know, in medicine, we try not to do harm and I'm a big proponent of that. Um, and so, you know, um, I see some of these functional providers giving out treatments that may do harm to patients. And so can you discuss that a bit? Yeah. yeah. Do you have any like personal experience with a patient who made it, who might've come to you after seeing a functional provider? I, I would say that I have kind of a, a composite patient since it's, usually the same story over and over. And I can't always remember whether it was a functional medicine doc or it was a naturopath or a chiropractor or, or somebody else. But, um, I, I've seen the same sorts of things over and over. Um, so as far as something that's really caused harm, probably the worst things that I've seen fairly regularly would be 
giving someone thyroid hormone who doesn't need thyroid hormone or just giving them way more than they actually do need. Uh, that uh, probably the worst thing that I ever saw with that was someone who came in in atrial fibrillation and heart failure uh, because directly because of way too much thyroid hormone. And that um, wow. that was disturbing. Uh, I've, I've probably seen that more than once. And then, you know, the, the adrenal thing is a big one too, because, you know, they'll diagnose everybody with a non-existent condition called adrenal fatigue, which is not to be confused with adrenal insufficiency or adrenal failure, both of which are uh, real conditions where the adrenals are not making enough cortisol. But yeah, the adrenal fatigue thing is wild because it's pretty easy to diagnose because there's there's no actual legitimate test for it. So you can order any number of ridiculous tests that will give a positive answer and allow you as a functional medicine doc to then prescribe either a supplement that has adrenal extract, like from a cow or a pig in it, or just flat out prescribe hydrocortisone, which is... Um, the medication we often use to treat adrenal insufficiency. So, you know, people take this stuff and then their adrenal glands, as we talked about before, stop making their own, or at least radically downregulate how much they do. And if you do that for long enough, um, and then you try to get people off of the, the medicine that they didn't need in the first place, it can be very difficult because it takes a while for the body to kind of wake back up from, you know, years sometimes uh, of, of suppression from those substances that they didn't need. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to take an outside perspective here and, and act like a listener. So I'm looking at this like, all right, um, I'm getting all this information now that my functional practitioner, my person that I go to as a naturopath, they're giving me nonsense. Um, I already have the distrust, this distrust with conventional medicine because I don't know, COVID, right? So what would you tell patients that are disheartened by conventional medicine? I would say I agree with you. I am disheartened too, which is why I'm not uh, working in the clinical medicine realm anymore. Uh, it really is disheartening and it's probably going to get hard. Uh, there's a silver lining coming up. Okay. So just bear with me for a second uh, before I get, uh, you know, all positive. I got to be a little negative. I, I think it's going to get harder to find a good primary care doc who really gives you the time that you need because they they often are just under so much pressure to produce and um that really is terrible but i do think that patients who are disheartened about conventional med they they do have some other options other than this false dichotomy between well i can go keep seeing my own doctor who's doing nothing for me or i can go to the functional medicine doctor there is another strategy. So if if you actually like your doc, you think they sort of have the the substrate to be a good doc, then make follow-up appointments, like let's say monthly, if you have an issue that's active that you're trying to sort out, make monthly follow-up appointments, get those appointments on the books in advance because you know your doc is probably booking out months at a time. So for once a month for the next six months, go see your doc. And maybe an insurance is going to cover all the visits and maybe they're not, but at least the doc is going to have a little bit more time to try to work with you and figure out what to do. And by all means, please do not have your doc or do not try to have your doc manage you via email or the electronic medical record, because you're never going to have your doc's full attention when I can tell you at being the doc, like we get so many messages, we're trying to just um, run through those as quickly as possible. So writing, you know, three paragraphs or more about all the problems you have, you know, just show up in person or, you know, video visit or whatever, but do it more frequently. Uh, I guess another thing, if, if people can afford it, and I, I hesitate to recommend this because I know people can't always afford it, but um, find a PCP with a subscription model, which is called different things, direct care, concierge care, but they generally have longer appointments and theoretically better communication with a kind of a higher touch practice. So those are those are a couple things I would do. But if you can't afford to go to the doc more often, can't afford concierge doc, I still think there's a ton that you can do on your own without resorting to going to a quack by 
doing the deep dive into the things we talked about before first diet. And then usually my next will go to is sleep and then exercise and then working on stress management through meditation, cultivating your relationships and whatever else helps you <laughs> relieve stress. And there's a ton of resources out there and you just have to kind of plod through it. And that's the, unfortunately that's hard. It's the simple fix, but it is hard. I understand not everyone is going to have something that's totally addressable through diet and all that stuff, but many people do and will feel at least some degree better. I, I love that explanation. Um, and, you know, before we started our podcast, I, I told you a little bit of why um, I myself was disheartened with conventional medicine and that I didn't get to spend enough time with my patients. And so, which is why, um, you know, uh, Vinny and I partnered together and we, we have more of the, um, if you will, concierge medicine model where people have to pay out of pocket, but we're able to spend the time that we need with our patients, but we don't do, you know, crazy testing. And we try to communicate very well with, with, with our people essentially, um, to try to give them the best possible advice out there. And, um, you know, we try to work well with their, um, primary care team, if they have one, um, occasionally I've had to talk to functional medicine people, which is not my favorite thing to do. Um, but it's, it's about educating, um, our patients and making sure that they have the best available information to make decisions about their health. Um, so I appreciate that answer. I, I and I agree with you in so many regards, um, in that, um, the primary care model, um, seems to be, uh, flawed in the, um, primary care docs are just overwhelmed with how many patients they have to see and how many uh, medical issues they have to manage at times. And so some of the patients don't feel um, that their primary care docs spend enough time with them. Um, you know, as a patient myself, I, I felt that um, in, in my own um, medical care as well. So I can appreciate that answer. Yeah. And even, yeah. even looking at it from like what I do for a living, um, you know, with, with my patients slash clients, um, basically like if you take on too many people at once, you can't give that individual attention that, that they're paying you for. Right. So what would you have to do next? And in order you, to take on more people, you'd have to actually teach someone to, to work under you. Um, and, and that's not the case with these uh, primary care physicians. They, they, they're not doing that. Um, they got to see these patients and it's one after another. You can't really keep a tab on them. You don't, remember exactly what's going on because you have so many people you have to see there's a there's a limit there's a there's a ceiling to that um and what we do now i mean like i before i met dr aaron and i had my other business i mean i, I was up to 75 clients by myself and now we're, we're we cut that in half like we're around 40 um but we spend so much time with our clients now to where it's like that's almost our limit you know we're not looking to take on a ton more people um, we just really want to help the people that are actually with us. And like um, Dr. Aaron said, you know, she spends, but I mean, the consult's supposed to be, her monthly consult's supposed to be around a half an hour, but it usually goes over an hour every single call. So um, we definitely give forth that, that time. Um, but in order to do that, we have to make the sacrifice of not trying to see as many people. But I know that's governed by, some, by a higher power uh, when you talk about primary care physicians. Yeah. And unfortunately, for the most part, that's true. Given the um, consolidation of practices being bought up by hospitals and that kind of thing, it's really tough to um, to find a, a good doc who's got their own practice where they can dedicate the time. So I'm glad that you guys have figured out how to do it. I think that's really the, the number one thing that patients need is time. Yeah. Without a doubt, okay. feeling heard, feeling heard is a lot is is always in the testimonial. Like they finally feel heard from a doctor. So, um, kudos to Dr. Aaron for for doing her thing with us. <laughs> uh, but before before we let you go, I had one more question because uh, this is coming from me. Um, in terms of like, I went through, um, you know, to get my master's in applied clinical nutrition, they taught us about integrated medicine. Like, there's a big textbook. They gave us stuff with like herbs and natural supplements to treat certain things. So I know that you know from a medical perspective there's a negative light that's shined on this integrated medicine compared to you know a nutritionist going through that process where now it's seen as something positive so what are your thoughts on this meaning like 
we're taught some of these functional practices and it's promoted over conventional medicine. So what are your thoughts on that aspect of it? I'm probably going to wind up throwing that one back at you, Vinny, because I think you may have better insight into it than I do, but I'm just going to guess that there's a just sort of a culture that has grown up around that educational process where the people who tend to be attracted to it are also just prone to be indoctrinated into the church of Wu. Mm -hmm. And if they're true believers, they're going to educate the people who they're teaching. And then those people are going to educate the people who come after them. And it, it just kind of perpetuates like that. Um, and, and maybe it has something to do with, as I said before, conventional medicine seeding way too much ground when it comes to, you know, important things like diet, uh, to, to the alt med world and the alt med world was happy to sort of rush in and fill that void. But I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about it? Well, I'm, I mean, I'll be honest with you. So, um, Dr. Aaron's opened my eyes to a bunch of different things, especially with, um, how, um, the nutrition and not nutrition, the, the supplement um, aspect of everything is really, um, it's not supported. And I was a big believer in being able to have those into a protocol to essentially help. So I'm like, Hey, if it's not going to hurt you, but it might be able to help you, let's do it. Right. But then again, you got people that might be wasting money. Um, so my, my mindset has changed to where it's like, we're not going to have the, the specific supplements in your protocols because you need to have them. It's like, no, I mean, if there's a deficiency in, let's just say vitamin D, obviously we're going to give you vitamin D, D3, you know, like we're going to give that to you or we're going to recommend it to you. But like having things like um, stuff like you mentioned before for your adrenals or like to help support thyroid function, like we're not doing that. And when I went through this process, a lot of, a lot of the education was on why you should use those supplements. And it kind of was turning me off from it initially. And like, I mean, I, I finished the certification, but like I stopped, I wasn't going into their, their cohorts anymore. It was just, I didn't believe in what they taught. So I was just like, I wanted to see what you guys could teach me. And it's really just pushing supplements on people. Um, so I'm thinking that initially the light that I saw it in was pretty positive. Like, oh, this could really help people. You know, I was always a, a big proponent of using the diet first before anything, right? Let, let food be thy medicine. <laughs> Um, so that's where I always stood. Um, but going through that process, it was just like, oh, well, these supplements, they're going to be able to help. But now it's kind of like, not really. So, um, I'm going to go more or less with, I, I feel like there's more of a negative light that I see now with, with the integrated messes and, and, and the functional perspective of it. And I see it as a ploy to sell supplements. Right. And so, uh, you know, when, uh, Vinny and I uh, first got together and decided to come up with, you know, um, certain, uh, clinical guidelines to, uh, treat patients. Um, he would, he would come to me and say, well, why don't we use this supplement? And then I would challenge him with, well, what kind of research was done on that supplement? Um, and why would you use it? Why is it clinically indicated one? Um, what kind of clinical testing are you doing to figure that out? And, and three, like what kind of evidence is there? Is there, um, randomized control studies out there? Um, what kind of, you know, is this just an observational study? What kind of studies are there in order to support that particular use of that particular supplement? And oftentimes, um, you know, uh, I'd come, when I would look, I would come up empty handed. And so not that, you know, I like to be open-minded um, and look at the evidence first. Um, and, and Vinny can tell you that, you know, my first response is usually, well, is a randomized control study on, yeah. on this particular topic? Yeah, you, you and uh, Lane Norton. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think uh, that those, those kinds of questions should be, um, you know, asked by any patient on the, on the treatment end as well. Um, and I think, uh, it behooves a, a provider to be able to answer those questions and educate their patients as well. Um, so that they, they're able to, you know, again, be able to assess, um, their health and, and be able to make good decisions about their health long-term. Agreed. 
Well, look, HD, uh, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, we could have definitely dove into the thyroid aspect of everything. Uh, so we're probably going to have to have you on to really just do a full episode on thyroid because uh, Dr. Aaron brought up the reverse T3 before. Um, you brought up the thyroid treatment and how it's ruining people. So I think we should dedicate it's uh, an own episode to that. But before we let you go, can you just tell our listeners where they could read your blog, where they could see maybe any posts that you put on on social media if you have social social media and anything to where they could see what, what you do and where you put it out. The main place that people can go to see what I've done is hormonesdemystified.com. I know that's a mouthful. I don't really do much in the way of, or anything in the way of social media. Uh, I think that my social media accounts were really just conduits for people to get notified that there was a post. Mm -hmm. So I am <laughs> very bad at, at being active on, on those things, but people can go to the blog and find my email address there and shoot me an email if they want to touch base about something. Uh, I don't give individualized medical advice. So please don't do that. But uh, if people have something else that they just want to send my way, I'm happy to read it. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, no, uh, definitely go check out his blog because the information on there, um, it's it's going to shake you up a little bit because <laughs> he's going to tell you some things that, you know, go against what you're hearing a lot now in the social media field, um, because that's where we mostly get well, I know from, from a client perspective where they mostly get their information from now is social media. So um, definitely check out his blog. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and educate us. Absolutely, Aaron. Thank you. So on behalf of Balanced Bodies, we just want to say thank you for joining us on this episode of the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. We are committed to bringing valuable content. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd greatly appreciate it if you can take a moment and like it and leave a five-star review. On Apple, just go to the show, scroll down to the bottom and rate it there. If you're on Spotify, go to the show's page, click the three dots, and you can rate it there as well. And if you believe in the power of knowledge, share this episode on your social media to try and get the information out there to as many people as possible. And as you navigate your own path towards better health, remember that Balanced Bodies is forever in your corner. See you all next week. The podcast content may include discussions of medical topics and health-related information. However, the information provided should not be considered exhaustive or complete, and it should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment.